0: Christy Lynn a AWOL Zebra, and one of my favorite interviews, I told you we were going to have a series, because I, I've explained that I follow people on Facebook, that I, 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 I see their comments, and I hear their stories, and I like where they're going, and this lady has been on before, and I'm excited. She's coming back on today, because I need help, and so many of us do with learning how not to run out of spoons or matches, whatever you use for this illness, we are going to uh-huh. learn how to pace. Welcome Anne-Marie Cross, it's a pleasure to have you back. How are you today?
1: I'm doing great today, Christy, how are you?
0: Excellent, thank you. And thank you for taking the time to join us. And the, the funny story is I, I like to start off with, we, we're going to start at a scheduled time and we agreed to go later and a little bit later until we came up with the time that we were both ready. And I wouldn't have been able to do that before had I not been conscious of trying to pace myself. Please explain to me what in the world do we do to try to get longevity in the day? And what exactly do you mean by pacing ourselves? Sure.
1: So this morning was a funny exact example. Um, I got up at my usual time. I had overdid just a little bit yesterday and just wasn't feeling quite at my best. I took my electrolyte capsules and a drink and I laid back down to let my body try and restabilize and and calm my dysautonomia down, which you and I are going to talk about (laughs) for another day. Um, But the last thing I did was to send you a message and say, hey, I'm going to be running a little behind. Probably about 15 minutes is my guess because I had already given myself a padding to make sure I'd be ready when we were supposed to talk. But I'm not exactly sure because my body's a crapshoot. So it's, you know, quite no for sure.
0: I was, and then the funny thing was, at the same time, I was sending you a message saying I was behind. So <laughs> I thought it was hilarious, but I did the exact same thing. I, taught, I, yeah. I took my electrolyte pills and I sat back down and I just allowed my body to rest because as you know I've been I it's been almost a two week flare that I was in and this is like only my my third day out and yeah. you tend to overdo it when you've been in bed for so long and you haven't been able to function all of a sudden when you get those abilities back it's kind of hard not to just go as crazy as you can to get everything done because you're excited because you have all this energy you didn't have or the, Mm -hmm. or your brain fog has, has gone away after two weeks. It's hard to not just jump right back in and try to pick up where you left off. You just can't seem to do that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, and you know, we all grew up in the no pain, no gain era. So it's like, Oh, well, I just have to try harder. I just have to push more. I'm just being lazy. I'm just whatever. And instead, we just put our bodies right back in the same cycle of, I haven't yet recovered from the last time I overdid. And now I'm overdoing again and putting my body in an even deeper deficit. And it just spins and spins and spins. Um, And that was incredibly difficult, especially for me to find my way out of. You know, when I did my undergraduate degree, I was a single parent at an Ivy League school um, in a very competitive program and sicker than a dog. And every time I finally felt like I had enough energy to get out of bed, I had three or four or six weeks of homework sitting next to me that had to be done and housework that hadn't been finished and, and, and whatever. Um, And it was just a never ending cycle. Um, And frankly, here I am at 55, still, still fighting the same cycle. Um, Whether it's about rebuilding physically to, to, to get a skill back or get back to work or get back to whatever, or whether it's just about, Hey, Am I able to get up this morning and do my
0: job and do it effectively? Well, one of the things that drew me to you uh, was you have similarities that I do with the neck. And one of our very first conversations last year, it was about a two hour conversation (laughs) and you were helping me understand the neck and you had such a good handle on it. And then a few months later, you went on a work trip on your flight and then i saw you mm-hmm. post about the damage it did to your neck even after all the rehabilitation you've done you still are battling
1: oh yeah i'm uh, i am in year 6 with my neck in fact this month is the start of year 6 with my neck oh. um you know, still don't know exactly what the original trigger was i have a few guesses but really don't know exactly what you know, i obviously there've been issues with my neck my whole life, but what kind of set me off at that point? Um, but yeah, the conversation you and I had some time ago was I flew for work and then I was in Chicago for work for several days and then I flew home. And taking off the G's obviously pull your neck in a, man, in a position and manner that's not your normal body position. Um, and I have a series of things I do to try to protect it while I'm flying. I wear a soft collar. I actually hold the front of the collar and create support for my neck during the takeoffs and during landings. Um, but the flight was particularly turbulent. And I wasn't holding my collar every second of every minute of a, you know, a four-hour flight. And something jostled my neck enough to sublux something in my neck um, in a way slightly different than what I know how to manage. Um, and it was about three or four weeks to get all the way out of that particular flare. Um, Even as you say, with being, you know, several years into experience and having a great team and knowing what to do and knowing how to pace the recovery, um, it still just took time.
0: And, and that's one of the things that I have the hardest time accepting, you know, I I had to go through Mm -hmm. accepting that I have the illness and then I, all of a sudden would have days because like I've said before my diary is the podcast I can go back and see yeah. where I was doing laundry and everything and then 10 minutes later I was down and then I had no voice and I try to go back and and, and figure it and what I like is that you kind of keep a diary like on Facebook because you helped get me through my last flare by sending me a picture how important sorry hang on one second christy oh, sorry good. hang on no, you're fine come sweetheart
1: i'm not sure how i left my dog outside oh. but she just came back in good girl baby good girl i don't know how i did that uh, okay i'm what, back very sorry
0: uh, what's what, what's her name journey journey
1: good girl oh, journey okay now, i don't know how in the world i i don't know okay uh, okay Whew, that's scary, that's scary. Uh, <laughs> all right
0: sorry about that no you're fine <laughs> you're fine. As long as journey's fine and you're fine, we're good to go. No, I I just was wondering because like I was saying, I, I have my podcast as my diary, my, my thing to go back to. And during Flair, you posted a picture that helped me, that made me realize that it's so important to do that, to document your your battle with this illness so you can see i mean is that why you like you keep the pictures and stuff to re- to re- either to remind you of where you were or to help you stay focused to know that you've come so far what
1: yeah um, and there there are a couple of different ways and a couple of different places. So one of them is exactly that. And you and I were talking recently about I look at my Facebook memories every morning. Um, and they're just an interesting way to look at things that have happened in my life. They also sometimes help me find patterns and realize that I struggle every fall. Uh-huh. Every fall, when the weather starts to shift and the daylight starts to shorten, I struggle with my body. And if I'm in a cold temperature, like when I was up north, Every November I end up in the ER at least once every year. But I wouldn't have known that until I see it come up on my face with me like, oh yeah, last year it was the first week in November. Two years ago it was the second week in November. And so on back because my body doesn't handle the temperature change as well. Um, but that, so that's one place where I use it. But another is like what you're talking about. You know That photo that I posted that shows that the left side of my face droops when I'm in a, a bad occipital neuralgia flare. I posted it for other people because I described that and they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, it's pretty subtle here. Here's an actual photo that you can see. My eyelid is drooped. My eyebrow is drooped. The skin right under my eye socket is drooped. It's not like hanging off the side of my face. It just doesn't match the other side. That's not how I usually look, but having that, that I can look at, or I can show someone else, whether a doctor or a friend and be like this, this is a physical indicator that my occipital nerves are not firing properly and my body can't control the muscles on the left side of my face properly. I am in a flare. Um, but The other thing it does is what you and I were talking about, which is that it reminds myself and everyone else that I'm not quote unquote normal healthy, right. that I still have these days and I still go through these things. And just like we always talk about of everyone else on social media, most of what people post are bright and shiny and beautiful and lovely, but that's not every day. No. And I have the days when I can't get out of bed or I can get out of bed, but I can't think. I know. And it's it's, like you say, it's also a reminder of, yeah, that's how bad it's been. And then on the flip side, I look at photos of me in a motorcycle contest or I look at photos of me showing one of the horses that I trained and go, I have been there and I'm going to get there again. I crawled out of the hole once I got back there. I'm going to get back there again.
0: And, and that's, that's the attitude that I love. And I, I thought there was nobody better than you for this because I have been getting messages from individuals, um, you know, talking about how they're, they're working on rebuilding, but they'll never get the opportunity to ride their horse again, or they'll never get an opportunity to roller skate again. And I'm like, oh, contraire, <laughs> because you've been able to do those things. Everybody knows that hopefully this time next year, I hope to be on roller skates is is my goal. You have been able to reclaim a lot of the things that this illness took away from you, but it hasn't been an easy a go of it. I mean, you've really put your due diligence in disconnect and we're back together. And I include (laughs) all of these issues on every podcast, things like journey popping in and any interruptions because I don't present a perfect podcast because I try to present it how I am in real life (laughs) and I don't edit. And like Anne-Marie said, Most people are always posting their bestest everything and that's not reality. I am presenting, Mm -hmm. you know, how I am. That's why I do the podcast when I can't talk. That's why I do the podcast when I'm stuck in a flare because I want people to know that this is real. So welcome back, Anne-Marie and (laughs) what we were chatting about is getting back What was taken away from you with this illness? And before, I know you roller skated, you did motorcycling. We're going to talk about uh, shooting because that's something that we're passionate about. And you had a horse rescue and riding horses because I've been getting messages. And I was like, I am still learning myself how to develop a pacing method with this illness, but I figured I'll go to the pros when it comes to this because I'm learning. And while I'm learning, why not share with everybody else? You did so much to get back. Just like we said, you're like six years in to your neck therapy. You still have setbacks. I saw pictures of you roller skating a few months ago and I was like, that's my goal. I've got to get back into it. You're doing these things again, but it's because of a lot of hard work, right?
1: It is. It is a whole lot of hard work. Um, and since you mentioned it, I'll bring this one up first because I think it's a really great example. I was So I was at a, a shooting event yesterday and I was talking to a young lady who's getting over having broken her dominant arm Um, And she's really frustrated at how long it's taking her to do normal things in life. And she's not sure she's ever going to shoot with that hand again. And I was telling her that when I came back to shooting again, nine months ago, literally I've, uh, I went to a, a, there's a woman's group that I belong to. I went to one of their regular meetings where normally we will each shoot about a hundred rounds. That's typically what you'll shoot at one of those, those evening events. And I walked in the door and I spoke with the lady in charge of the event before I came. And I said, hey, just FYI, I am allowed to shoot one magazine tonight. And she's like, what do you mean? I said, I have been through with my physical therapist. We have done practice shooting with a training gun. We have worked on my body position. I have sat at home and fake shot at home, you know, X number of minutes a day for the last three weeks to be allowed to fire my gun tonight. I am allowed to shoot one magazine of five shells. And she looks at me and goes, didn't you drive an hour? I said, yes, I drove an hour because you drove an hour to shoot five shells. I said I drove an hour to shoot again. That's awesome. and she's like, "That's what I wanted to hear from you." I was like, "Yeah." And she's like, "There's nowhere closer to home you could have shot." I said, "I wanted to be around my friends. I wanted to be around people who understand what the battle I've been through, and who understand why I even want to be here and do this at all." And I put my five shots down target, four of which were badly out of position, by the way. And set my gun down and everyone cheered and we all went out for ice cream because I shot five shots. Now, (laughs) you know that five years ago, I was a competitive shooter and was putting down about a thousand rounds a weekend. Yes. But I got to put down five shots again and it was, and I celebrated and then I did not shoot for a week and I didn't do anything remotely physically straining on my body whatsoever for a week because I wanted to be able to clearly say, if my neck set off, did it set off a day or two later from my shooting? Or did it set off because besides shooting, I also went roller skating or I also moved furniture or, you know, whatever. So that I could cl- cleanly walk into my physical therapist and say, I shot last week. I think I'm fine. You tell me what you see. Um, and so that's, that was a really fun example of taking it in tiny baby steps. And by the way, that was nine months ago. I'm still shooting a 22, which for anyone who's not particularly pistol knowledgeable, that is the lowest load, least recoil, lightest weapon I can shoot. Um, I'm competing with it. I'm having fun with it. I'm nowhere near back to the gun I shot with six years ago, seven years ago now. Um, But I'm enjoying it again, and I am doing it safely and not risking my neck and taking very small steps forward. So yesterday, you got to see, Christy, I shot laying on the ground for the first time in seven years. Thought, it's all four shots,
0: but I did it. No, yeah, no. I didn't look at it as only four shots. My first thing was, oh my stars, no neck collar. She go on the and she shooting, and then <laughs> I, I had to watch it several times because the first time I was in all of the neck. I was like watching you, the <laughs> and then I watched it again to watch the shooting, and then I went. Watched- <laughs> and so i could kind of take it all in because i didn't see it as just four shots i i saw it as okay i can do this now maybe i shouldn't go out with my 357 and try to target this <laughs> because i think the kickback would probably <laughs> destroy me yes but it was so smooth it was so methodical how you did that and it was like it was like, to me, you had a virtual neck collar on. Your neck was so, it was like you were so conscious of it, but yeah. it wasn't, but it wouldn't have been obvious to anybody else because I was looking for your neck. I was so impressed. <laughs> your head did not move and you came from the, the supine position and just boom. I, I was, I thought that was really cool. So no, I didn't see it as just four oh, things. I thought I thought that was awesome, and so that's an example of how you were able to get back into shooting. It was a process. It wasn't a just okay. I'll do this. You practiced.
1: Yeah, and there's you know the you talking about my neck in that position. I think brings in a great story that you and I have talked about before, which is that. We had to do a whole lot of physical therapy before we could even work on my, my flexor muscles and actually strengthening my neck. We had to do a ton of things to quiet down other things that were doing things they weren't supposed to do. Um, you know, I actually spent 12 weeks in a, in a rigid cervical collar to intentionally uh, atrophy or, or lose muscle strength of all the muscles that, aren't, that were doing the wrong jobs. Um, When we got a lot of the basics done, when we started to work on rebuilding my neck flexor muscles, this is what I mean when we talk about measuring success in millimeters, literally laying on my back, a regular pillow under my head. For the first two weeks, the instruction was, think about picking your chin up as if you were going to bring your chin forward to your chest. Do not move your head an inch. Just think about picking up your head, count to two and put your head back down. It's like, this is the most ridiculous thing in the world. What are you talking about? She said, I'll show you why. And she put her hands on the, the, the angled SEM muscles down the side of my neck. Uh-huh. And she just kept her fingers there and she said, we're going to do four of them. And when we got to the third time of me thinking about picking up my head, my neck flexor muscles were so tire- tired that my SEM muscles down the side of my neck tried to pick up my head. Really? She said, yeah. It's like, that's what I want you to see. You have never used your flexor muscles properly. They don't know how to operate. If you try to do a big movement with them, they'll try for a split second, go, nope, I don't know how to do this. And your body will pick a different muscle and use a different muscle to do the job instead. And now you've done the exact opposite of what we're trying to do. So I literally for days just lay on my bed twice a day, head on a pillow, not even my head flat back behind me. And just imagine lifting my head up as if I was going to bring my chin towards my chest. Just think about it. Don't move it. And then I got to, okay, now just try to move it to where you're still, there's still pressure on the pillow, but you can feel that you've picked up a little of the weight of your head. And I wasn't allowed to do that by myself for two weeks because the first PT session that I tried to do it, she's like, nope, wrong muscles, nope, wrong muscles, nope, wrong muscles. And then when I got it right at PT, she's like, you're not allowed to do this one at home yet. You're not ready. Come back next week. We'll do it again. And it was about six weeks to get to the point where I can do a a proper chin tuck of simply not, not shearing, not uh, lifting your head without your neck flexing, but actually flexing my neck correctly so that my head would come off the pillow and come up to, I think, probably around a 45, if I, if I would imagine what the measurement was. And it was several more weeks till we got to where I could actually maintain position for 30 seconds and breathe while my head was up there with my fingers still laying on my SEM muscles to make sure my SEM muscles weren't doing the work.
0: Oh my gosh, you've got me. Like, I'm actually sitting here and like lying back and I am trying mm-hmm. because now I'm conscious. I mean, I conscious. wow. Okay. Because I'm, I'm only doing like the isometric exercise where my I'm, you know, sitting up and I'm just kind of pushing my chin in and pushing back a little bit. And that's mm-hmm. all i to do at this moment. And yeah. exhausting it, it. Yeah, it really is. And, and that's, why i was drawn to you because of the neck issues because nobody else was talking about the neck everybody's always you know concentrating on the feet and and the core you know your pelvic floor Mm -hmm. which is all important but i was like there's something going on in my neck and a lot of people don't Mm -hmm. realize that you kind of have to have everything in the correct position in order to be able get to the point that you're walking further you're riding horses you're roller skating yeah things like that so what since we're on the neck let's go ahead Mm -hmm. and motorcycle riding sure i because i love the story about your helmet and how you yeah Because when my husband will come in, he'll, he'll, he'll come in and I'm, I'm lying on the bed and I'm like, I'm really doing something. And I'm, all I'm doing is like breathing in for six seconds and trying to breathe out for six seconds. So mm-hmm. that I'm finding we have to do in order to prepare our bodies to do something, look like nothing to anyone else. Yes. And
1: it's so and our bodies. And it's so, it's feels so frustrating because it feels like you're not doing anything. Correct. Um, Yeah. I remember when I told you the helmet story that you just, you were almost speechless. So, um, so I used to compete at a slow speed motorcycle sport called observed trials. Um, It's essentially obstacle courses on motorcycles. We don't go fast. It's not motocross. We aren't jumping big jumps. Um, It's much more technical. I got in the sport because it requires a ton of balance, which I don't have. And so it helped me learn some proprioception and some balance. And it just, it was a really cool challenge that I could challenge myself with. So I rode for numerous years, then my neck went bonkers. Um, So when I moved down here five years ago, I did keep my motorcycle, I did bring it with me. I was determined to ride it again. And, And a year ago I decided that, okay, I really wanna ride my bike again, a little over a year ago. And so I had a conversation with my sports med Cairo and my PT, and I was like, I want to ride my bike again. I brought them my helmet. My helmet weighs less than two pounds. So we are not talking about a, you know, a 20 pound piece of hardware on my head. Um, and essentially they said, tell me what you want to do to get back on the bike. And I laid out what my plan was. And they're like, okay, that sounds great. As long as we keep seeing you every week and make sure you don't set back as you're working through that, we can do that. So literally my process to get back on the bike was actually two parts on my body. I think I've only told you one of them. Um, so the first part was the helmet. So for the first week, Five minutes a day, I would put my helmet on. First, I would put on a blow up cervical collar that actually is, it's meant for like when you're flying on the airplane, you can, you can uh, inflate it as far as you want it, put the inflatable collar on, put my helmet on, inflate the collar so that the collar is holding essentially the entire weight of the helmet. So the only thing my head has is the, the fact that there's the pressure of the helmet on my head and a slight amount of weight because the collar can't completely support the entire collar. Sit in a proper position with my body, how it belongs, proper core, et cetera, and just look straight ahead and watch TV for five minutes and take the helmet off and do it again tomorrow and do it for a week. And then the second week, it's wear it for 10 minutes. And then it's wear it for 10 minutes, but lessen the pressure and then lessen the pressure a little more. And then get to where I can sit staring at the TV with the helmet on without the collar for 15 minutes with no interaction, no problems with my neck. At the same time, in those same weeks, the other thing I'm doing is a big part of riding our motorcycle is core balance and core muscle strength. So I am going out to the garage and I am literally just standing on my motorcycle, not starting it, not running it. The nose is leaned against the wall so I can't fall over. But the whole point is just to balance the bike so that my lower half of my body can remember how in the heck this works and how in the heck do I shift my weight between my feet so that when I do get on the bike with my helmet on, and I'm actually moving. The rest of my body's muscle memory remembers what it's doing and I can focus on just my neck. Um, Finally get to the point where I can wear the helmet. I can wear it for 15 minutes at a time, pull the bike out of the garage, have someone else start it because kicking the bike may strain my neck. Um, Have someone else start it, put the blow up collar back on, put my helmet on, ride my motorcycle for five minutes for three days in a row, then 10, then 15, then back to five, but lower the pressure on the collar. Then finally, five minutes with no pressure on the collar. And finally, at the end of all of that, about 12 weeks after I started it would be a guess somewhere in there, I pulled a small wheelie on my bike. Small, like about three inches. Wow. But it's a very core skill for my sport. You can't ride my sport without that skill. I pulled a wheelie again without upsetting my neck. I've since put the bike back in the garage. That was last year, last summer. It was a lot of work to get back there. I proved to myself I could do it. Now that I proved to myself I could do it, I don't know that I can do all the rest of the things in order to actually compete at my sport. And for me, my bike isn't fun if I'm not on the course with other riders doing the fun things we do together. Um, So she is back in the garage and I keep talking about selling her. I don't know if I will or I won't, but I proved to myself I could ride again. And that was really... I was really struggling with my neck at that time of am I just stuck where I am? Am I never gonna get back the things I used to do that I love to do? And I proved to myself that if I mean it enough and I paced myself in millimeters, not miles, I can ride again.
0: That's, I mean, that's inspired. that me, you know, it starts kind of getting more, Clear in my mind that I have to have the one thing that I've never had in my life, and that's patience <laughs> in, in order to try to manage this illness. Because I have been doing the vicious cycle of getting out of a flare, then just going just as doing, trying to do everything that I can. Mm-hmm. Until I start realizing that, okay, I just picked up a load of laundry. I shouldn't have done that. My neck was in a different position. I can feel that I'm going to pay for that. And then I set myself back even more. And my husband's yeah. always like, Christy, I wish you you need to start listening and you need to start pacing. And I'm like, it's easier said than done. It, re- oh, it, is. <laughs> it really is. But yeah that you did all of that just so you could ride your motorcycle. Is that the way we need to approach everything that we're doing? Like like being able to go to the store, being able to walk with your loved ones or like to walk the dog. I mean, should, yeah. we, should we take that approach with every activity that we're trying to approach? I have
1: to. I, I know some other zebras who seem to be able to rebound and come right where pick right up where they left off, and and I am so so happy for them, but I have to I have to take it in baby steps. Um, you know, you asked me about getting back to horses because you've said you've had numerous people ask about that. Yeah. So I showed horses all through high school. Um, I was in theory on a track where I could have shown professionally, um, at least shown through college until my body started doing all the crazy things it did. Um, rode on and off through, through uh, college age, um, as you said, started a horse rescue, bought a property, had my first horse, was retraining my first horse. My ankle problems and my OBGYN problems both went nuts at the same time. Um, and I did almost nothing for oh, about six months. Um, and you know, not quite bedridden, but darn close, talking about whether or not I was going to be able to be stable enough to be working yet. And I was not diagnosed yet at this point. Um, but all I wanted in the world was to ride a horse. And the people in my life at that time were like, well, if all you truly, if truly, truly all you want is to ride, then stop trying to catch your horse and saddle your horse and prepare your horse and put everything away and move hay bales and everything else. The side that you want to ride and let people help you. Like, but letting people help me didn't work when I was a kid. You're not a kid anymore. Letting people to help me didn't work at X time in my life. Those aren't the people that are in your life today. Let people help you. So when I got back on a horse for the first time, while my ankles were still a problem, I was walking in two Dondre boots. And literally, my daughter would saddle my horse, walk her up to this giant set of mounting blocks that someone built for me, that the, the mounting steps are literally four feet tall. So the top of the step was within six inches of my horse's saddle, I would climb up the steps in my dandre boots, sit sideways on the saddle so my my feet were still sitting on the steps, unlash my dandre boots, swing my foot over. Can't put my feet in the stirrups because my ankles can't do that. Swing my foot over and have my daughter give me a pony ride on the horse that I trained a year and a half before because that's what my body could do. But it got me back on a horse and it got my legs remembering how I'm supposed to move when I'm sitting on a horse. And pretty soon I had my own reins in my hands. Pretty soon I was steering my own horse, just can't still can't put my feet in the stirrups and still can't walk when I get off again. Oh. But I could ride again. And it that, that gave me the energy, the will to try what do I have to do next to get to the next piece. You know, they were talking about fusing my ankles at that point. And if they had, I would not have walked for at least a year. And they told me I would not ride, not ride with my feet in the stirrups for probably three to five years. And I didn't want that. I wanted to ride more than I wanted the doctors to tell me they could fix me. So it gave me something to believe in that I can do this. And Like like talking about riding the motorcycle where I wanted one wheelie. I wanted to prove to myself and my brain and my body that I could do it. And I put everything else away until I build a path that let me prove I could do that. And then once I'd done it, it was like, okay, do I wanna keep going? Or did I prove to myself that, you know, this sport maybe isn't for me anymore. Things have changed in my life. I don't have a mechanic in my home anymore. There are other things that maybe the sport isn't for me anymore, but I had to prove to myself I could ride again. And with the horses, it was like, okay, now that I'm on my horse again, I am going to get this back, whatever it takes. And I did but it was with really, really, really tiny baby steps. And where I am today, so I've gone through all this crap with my neck. I've reset my life. I no longer run a horse rescue. My ex-husband and and my old volunteers do. Um, We've brought in a couple of foster horses here from a rescue. And I realized pretty quickly that I can still train horses, but I'm not willing to risk my neck and everything else in my life that my neck impacts to train horses anymore. So now I ride horses, someone else's train. I get to ride.
0: I I think, no, I think that's beautiful because a a listener did, you know, message me and her biggest, her biggest loss for her at the moment, she says, I've lived with the pain. I, I, you know, I've lived with everything. I understand all of it. She goes, but I have a love for horses. And she goes, and I was so good at it. And yeah. they told me I'll never get on a horse again. And I said, don't let them tell you never. <laughs> I said, yeah, you, know, you have to, you know, you know, it's a process, but it can be done. And and that's what I find inspiring. And I think if we take that approach, at least for me, if I take the same approach that you've done for riding a horse for getting back on the motorcycle and apply it to my everyday life. Because at this point, you know, getting up and doing the load of laundry is a big task for me. And it's a big accomplishment. I, when I went to bed last night, it was the first day in two years, honestly, that I could say I did all of the laundry today and put it up. Before I went to sleep. And when I woke up, I knew there would be more laundry to do today. <laughs> it was the first time yeah. over two years that I was able to take care of the laundry and I didn't sit there and watch my husband have to do it. And yeah. that was a major accomplishment, but it kind of, you know, for me, and it made yeah. me think, okay, wake up, Christy, you need to start applying this approach to every aspect of your life because I want to be able to get out of the house more I want to be able to go on vacations I yeah. I want that but I just I just didn't have the patience and it's a lot easier to get up and do it while you have the energy and then just know you're going down and I don't want right. that you know yeah I, I want to to be able to live and you say one thing and and you've said this before and I, and I like it, the, the, the no pain, no gain versus, you know, measuring success in millimeters. And what exactly, what exactly do you mean by that?
1: Yes. You know, we, I think all of us grew up in the no pain, no gain mindset, right? If, if your muscles don't hurt, you're not working hard enough.
0: All mind ever matter. You don't mind. I don't matter. That kind of thing.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and I'm not sure that actually works for people with normal bodies either for the moment, but for a moment, we'll pretend it
0: does. (laughs) Okay.
1: But for us, you know, we talked about my stabilizer muscles in my neck for my body. At least that is my problem through every inch of my body is the small stabilizer muscles that are supposed to keep my joints where they belong. Do not operate properly because the tendons on the end of them are too long. And it's too hard. So my body picks a different muscle set to try to stabilize the joint instead, which twists the joint out of position. It makes overtight muscles doing the wrong jobs, et cetera. Every inch of my body is that way. And we have worked through, God, most of them now um, in retraining the small muscles to do the right job. Well, when you're taking something your body has never used before and asking it to do something, if you push it until you have pain, your body says, Oh, that was a bad idea. I just sprained that muscle. I won't use that muscle again. And your body picks up the big, the big flat guy next to it who could do it for you and does it the way you've always done it. And it just keeps spiraling and getting worse. So no pain, no gain. And there's another reason no pain, no gain doesn't work for me and that, and I think this is true for most of us, we live in muscle and joint pain 24/7. So a slight difference in our muscle pain is is unnoticeable because we have slight changes in our muscle pain every minute of every day. So we don't get the mental signal that says, hey, that actually hurt. I shouldn't be doing that right. until you've gone so far over that you have sprained or strained. Or I, I know fellow zebras who have done cartilage tears. I actually I had a PT before I was diagnosed. We were trying to, to fix my hands, cause cartilage tears in my hand because, oh, just try harder, just pull more, just squeeze more, just whatever. And, you know, I had had an MRI a few weeks before, and the next MRI showed new cartilage tears oh. that happened because PT told me to try harder. I know. And that's um, our
0: bodies. <laughs> that's that's
1: Yeah, that's, you know, yeah, we, we just can't do that. And again, I would argue that normal people shouldn't do it either, or health, healthy bodies shouldn't do it either, but it certainly doesn't work for us. And the you know, the measurement in millimeters is what I was talking about. Of Can I wear my helmet for five minutes with a blow-up collar without hurting my neck? I would sure hope I can, but we're going to find out. We're not going to assume I can. We're going to take a little tiny baby step. And when I can, I'm going to celebrate it, even if it feels like the stupidest thing in the world, like talking to you yesterday and being so high that I shot laying on the ground. <laughs> you understand the muscle strength it takes to hold your head up while you're laying on the ground. Let alone hold your head up while you're also aiming a weapon and everything else for a normal person. They never think about what it takes to hold their head up while they're laying. Like, what do you mean? You can't, you can't hold your head up like that. Well, I can, I just use all the wrong muscles and throw my neck out of whack. So it's, I know it was It's It's nine months of millimeters to have gotten to the point where I could take those shots yesterday and get off the ground, not having done damage. I could have taken those shots nine months ago. I just would have set myself back for six weeks. You know, I got up without damage. I still was able to go shopping yesterday afternoon with my granddaughter. I still managed to feed the horses last night, even though I shot like that yesterday morning. And I was a little slow getting out of bed this morning. Won't won't argue that, but it wasn't my neck. It was, I was out in 105 degree heat too long. It didn't take in enough electrolytes. Right. No. I have to celebrate those. If I don't celebrate those, I can't, I can't, I can't look and say, I have to be able to run a marathon next week because frankly, I can't jog 20 feet without hurting my ankles. I can't say I have to hit a marathon. I have to say if I jogged 20 feet and I'm not limping afterwards, that is what success looks like today. That is my millimeters and that is my success today.
0: Yes, no, you're right. You have to celebrate the little things. And for us, they're, they're actually accomplishments and you're right when I was looking at video yesterday I I was just I was in awe because I understood how difficult that was and to anybody else they would just be like oh (laughs) okay I could do that and it's right I was in the kitchen with my husband the other day I was standing there and I got a text from one of my friends in town and and she was asking me if I was you know what what did I accomplish today? And I said, I'm standing in the kitchen and Mm -hmm. that was an accomplishment because I, as I was standing there, I realized that I was struggling to make sure that my neck was in proper alignment. My shoulders were relaxed. Mm -hmm. I had to think about all of that. Was the pressure on my left heel just right? Did I feel my big toe? While everyone standing there talking and doing everything. So, Mm -hmm. no, I completely understand and I can appreciate the baby steps. And you brought up something when you were talking about that. You brought up your hands. And I'd like, I have a question about that because my hands started going in 2021. And then for me, as I started having fascial adhesions released, I started getting a little bit Of like more use of my hands, and just in the past two or three months, I I had I broke my left arm in three places. I was snowboarding before I had this illness. Before (laughs) I had no business a mountain of snow on a little board, but (laughs) I'm snowboarding. Broke my arm in three places, so I had a big fascial adhesion on my left wrist. And when I was able to release it, I looked at my palm palm was looks like a regular person's palm it it, because before it was just kind of stuck to my hand and it was all Uh and I realized oh my gosh I'm getting the use of my hand back a little better so I. but the problem is I'm having I guess rebuilding my hands I I'm I'm trying to figure and, and I've when I look at a lot of post I see it with other people talking about you know putting like a ball on your pens you can write or asking Uh what is better to use and I don't want to give in just yet I've got to figure out how to like get my fingers working again properly and when you brought up the tears in the Uh carpet, I mean did you go through a rebuilding process
1: Oh, I have been through and back with my hands. Um, so I've been through two rebuilding processes, one done wrong and one done right. So uh, I will shorten a really long story. I had an idiot boss make me move a desk. You've seen me. I'm 110 pounds at this time in my life. Made me move a solid oak desk. Um, and I had a tear in the pec muscle in my shoulder. And I also had shooting pain down to my hands. Um, and the, the lovely work comp doctor told me there was nothing wrong with my hands. It was just pain from the shoulder. Um, Long story short, I went through seven surgeries on the right hand and three on the left, um, including having to have a steel plate put in the right wrist. All of this before I was diagnosed. Um, The only thing the doctor said to me is, well, gee, you know, the inside of your hand looked worse than the 70 year old I operated on before you. I was 25 at this point. Um, But no conversation whatsoever about hypermobility or connective tissue disorders or anything else. But I went to regular physical therapy, who just kept pushing me to try harder, do this, do that, do whatever. And then finally, they just called it maximum improvement. I had four pounds of hand strength in one hand, and I think six in the other. I couldn't lift my three-year-old daughter. They told me I would never type again, which is what I had done for a living for X number of years. Um, I couldn't turn a car key. They certainly said I would never ride a horse again or a motorcycle again with the condition my hands were in. Um, And I had
0: Did we lose you? Hello? I think we might have lost Anne-Marie. She was having some internet issues. We'll get her back. Here you? Yeah, there you are. We lost you. Oh. Okay. Yeah, you were, you were talking about your still <laughs> plate, and uh, you just had mentioned the, mm-hmm. the pound pressure for each hand.
1: yeah. So I had about five pounds of of grip strength in one hand and about seven in the other. I couldn't lift my three-year-old daughter. Um, They told me I'd never type again. I could barely turn a car key. Um, And they basically said, we've done the best we have. Good luck. Um, But there had been no effort whatsoever to figure out why my hands and wrists were the way they were. Um, And then I got diagnosed. And when I got diagnosed, they sent me to sports medicine. And the first thing I said was, you know, my ankles are a problem. We'll get to those. I need my hands back. I you know, I have not had a day without raging hand and wrist pain in six or seven years. I have, you know, I used to show horses, I used to carry 50 pound bags of grain like they weighed nothing. Now I have three pounds of hand strength. I need my hands back. And they that was the first, well, the second time in my life I went through hypermobile aware physical therapy where they said, okay, we're gonna have you stop doing all the bad habits you have. And we're going to start working through and rebuilding the stabilizer muscles for my wrists and clearing fascia. I had fascia adhesions in the surgical hand, like you can imagine.
0: Oh,
1: yeah. um, and then and I, the one good thing I did learn through the first PT was they helped me learn a lot of hyper, uh, a lot of ergonomics. So I was using an ergonomic keyboard. They changed how I sat. They changed where my monitor was positioned, things like that. The second time around, we went through that much more aggressively. So for example, the keyboard that I type with, my hands are actually upright. I use a vertical keyboard called a safe type. So my wrists are not rotated down because your wrists are not designed for your hands to be rotated down. The nerves and muscles and tendons and everything in there and fascia along all that are not designed for your hands to be in that position all day long. They're just not. So my keyboard has my wrists sit upright. My elbows are on a specialized chair with arms that set it correctly. Okay. We really in- improve the ergonomic of how I type. Um, I almost never type on my phone. One of my restrictions when I travel for work is I am not allowed to type on my laptop keyboard. So, for example, they can't expect me to work from the airport um, because that is too hard, not only on my hands and my wrist, but also my neck. Um, but so we've done just a ton of work to rebuild the stabilizers in my hands. Now, I still don't write worth a crap. Um, I do use a pen with an extra large pad on it to try to help support that. Um, We didn't do as much as we probably should do with the stabilizers for the last joints in my fingers um, because it wasn't something I complained about or or really have battled with. Um, But, yeah, I did an incredible amount of work. We probably did nine months of physical therapy to restabilize my hands and my wrists. But knock on wood, I have not taken a painkiller for my hands or my wrists since. So that's 22 years.
0: That's, 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 I mean, that's astounding. And I'm also sitting here, like I was, as you were talking Mm -hmm. about ergonomics and how you Mm -hmm. had your keyboard, I put my hands in that position. Like I'm sitting there going, oh, well, this makes much better sense. And I get it. It Because when you were talking about don't go or not supposed to go downwards. So I was sitting there thinking that does make so much sense. And then- I started thinking, okay, to apply this technique yet again to everything throughout every part of my day, I need, yep. to, I got adjustments. would that be, I mean, like, like I need to probably reevaluate how I load and unload the dryer and, and how I, I do things. And I, I guess I need to get, yeah. you know, to my neck and and things like
1: that yeah you know when I built this little house I tried really hard um so for example I have an all-in-one washer dryer I never lift wet laundry ever again wonderful little machine love, I love, it. It. I love it um and I and it's not yet but eventually it will be up on stilts so that I don't have to bend down to put the laundry in it I haven't gotten around to that um You know, when I, I don't have a dishwasher in this house, but if I'm in my daughter's house and she makes dinner, I will tend to load the dishwasher. When I load the dishwasher, I have literally things I have to think before I do of, okay, before I bend down, first we bend the knees. Then we trigger the glutes so that the glutes are actually doing their job. Then we trigger the core. Okay, now make sure the neck isn't where it's not supposed to be. Now I can bend down and put dishes in the dishwasher. Sounds ridiculous. But that's what let me push dishes in and out of the dishwasher without throwing my SI out or upsetting my neck. I know. And I've like my kitchen counters are slightly taller than a normal counter height. And my upper cabinets are six inches lower than a normal person sets their upper cabinets, which gives me very little counter space between my uppers and my lowers. But it means I don't have to overstretch to put my dishes away. And my cooking surface is at an ergonomically correct height. I'm not leaning down or looking down as bad to cook. Um, I take ergonomics seriously and how I set up my, my car, my seat in my car is very, very specific for ergonomics for my hands and
0: my wrists. I'm, I'm, that is one of my pet peeves is for anyone to change the settings of my, (laughs) (laughs) it's one of those things I've adjusted it. But as you were speaking, I didn't realize that I, I guess just, I wasn't conscious that I was doing it because of my hypermobility, putting mm-hmm. it in a position that's better for me. Uh, because when you mentioned like reach, I'm like, when I'm in my vehicle, it's so important that my arms are able to sit a certain way. That's why I just can't have yeah. And then you, when you were again, talking about the reaching, I was thinking I was putting my son's t-shirts up yesterday in the closet and it's, taller than me and I'm six foot one. So it's probably, but mm-hmm. and I'm reaching, trying to hang the shirt and I'm realizing, I don't think this is good for my body. Right. So now yep. I'm even more conscious of, of everything that I'm doing so that I can get more time in the day. Yeah. And I just never, I, I think it's because when, you're bedridden and you have to have your food brought to you be taken care of. I, I feel selfish, you know, taking too much more time away from my family mm-hmm. about, I have to do it this way. I have to do it that way. But I guess I have to look at it as not being selfish. I have to look at it as right. the new way for my body And this is what I have to do. Yeah. And it's,
1: if your brain insists on thinking about things as being selfish, try not to, but if it insists on that, is it more selfish to have to slow down or say, for example, insist your teenage son hang up his own shirts? Um, Because that means you do not end up back in your bed where other people are doing the cooking and are doing other things that again, arguably are not necessarily all your responsibility, but that you will beat yourself up for. Or if you can lower his, his rod or get him to hang up his own shirts. And it means you don't end up back in bed and now you can cook breakfast or you can be at the table with everyone else while you eat or whatever. I know there, there are balances that are worth making. I don't carry groceries. Does it annoy the crap out of me that I have to ask my 16 year old granddaughter to bring my groceries in the house? You bet. Yeah. But it means I don't have to ask her to take care of the dogs and the horses because I can't get out of bed or, you know, whatever else. Um, I don't I am now cleared to carry 30 pounds, but I don't carry 30 pounds because I know I risk upsetting my neck to do it.
0: no, so, no you're you know. exactly right. And that's the thing. I, I think like for me yesterday, I was so happy that I was up and doing laundry that I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to do all of this. But no, you're right. I need to allow others to do things for me. It's frustrating that you know I can't go to the grocery store, but I'm doing a curbside. I'm accepting that I can't carry the groceries because a gallon of milk can set me back. And yeah. it's, it's just a matter of trying to accept that I need to make accommodations for myself so that I can have longevity. Because you're yeah. right, something that I, I don't like putting myself back down. And if I do it to myself because I've overdone it, that's one thing, but I, I do. I need to be more conscientious of things. And it's like like my husband told me, um, I went through the house, like we're tall people, six foot one and mm-hmm. up. And I had to buy legs for our couch, and because I had to raise all of our furniture, right. I, I I just couldn't go down that low. Yeah, anymore. and I'm now I'm looking at the bathroom, thinking, how do we raise the toilet? Because it's just I'm trying to to look at these things. So I I guess yeah. I to look at it like if I if I took the time to buy taller legs for my furniture, I guess mm-hmm. I. To look at the bigger picture and look at the little things that I'm doing that throw my body out of position and therefore possibly put me into a flare. Yeah. So and I,
1: No, go ahead. Yeah you know, we we have conversations in in our Facebook group all the time about mo- mobility aids and oh I you know I'm just not ready for a wheelchair I'm just not ready for X or Y and I wish I could remember who said it to me first because I would love to give her credit. Someone said it to me at one point of, you know, there are a whole lot of mobility aids in the world, like cars, buses, boats, trains, shoes, clothing. You know, there are lots of things that everyone uses to make it easier to be able to do whatever it is you're trying to get to do with less stress on your body. Just because the aids that we happen to need for our condition are slightly different than what other people need, they're no better, they're no worse. You know, if if the couch is too low and that's straining your back, then you raise the couch, by the way. I
0: uh, think we lost. We'll give it a second. We'll see if Amory will come back. Her internet was a little wonky this morning. That's what she was letting me know. So we'll see. But I do find it interesting, though, that we really need to look at getting our bodies back into a daily routine as part of an exercise, I guess, as part of rehabilitation. I guess I need to look at that as possibly being my job, getting my body up so that. So we've got Anne-Marie back and I, you cut off exactly at and. (laughs) So we got you. Well, I remember where you were.
1: I think I remember where I was. Can you hear okay. me now? Yes. Okay, good. I'm. I moved. Ironically, I went back to my internet since my phone seems to be being more unstable at the moment. Um, okay. So, um, <laughs> I knew where I was until I went to start talking. Um, did you hear any of what I said about mobility aids, or did you lose all of that? <laughs>
0: No, 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 because we, you were talking uh, about the fact that, you know, our mobility aids are are no different than, like, a, a vehicle and, and things yeah, like that. Yeah, okay. Um,
1: so, I was going to say, for example, there absolutely are riser seats for your toilet. Um, Lowe's, everyone else carries them. That gets you a seat that's <laughs> at the right height for your body. Okay. I know. Um, I just... I, It was really hard for me early on to accept that I need things to work differently, even though things have had to work differently for me my whole life. And when, again, I wish I remembered which zebra said it to me that way, when she said it that way of, you know, I just need a slightly different mobility aid than other people need. It's like, yeah, I just need to do things in a way that a lot of the changes that I make are to get my body to work in an ergonomic way, the way that non-hypermobile bodies work every day. So all I'm doing is making an adaptation to teach my body to work the way it's supposed to the way it's designed to um, and that our our sloppy collagen has just made it harder for my body to do
0: no you're well just to I guess break it down to this level it's just like uh the the what are they called squatty potties or whatever <laughs> yes <laughs> that, yeah. yeah I mean they say that you know because I, I worked with a nutritionist about this and she went into great detail about uh, using the restroom and how the proper way to do it and how you get the most benefit out of it. And that changes your body and repositions it. So if they're doing it for that, mm-hmm. I guess you do need to kind of look at it in everyday life for everything that you're doing so that you're not having the other muscles compensate and take over and then kind of put yourself into a flare. And before I was discussing, like just kind of killing time to find out if you were going to pop back Mm -hmm. in or will we just completely get disconnected? I was kind of approaching the fact that the way we need to, I guess, prepare is to, I guess feel like that our bodies are in training and because I'm thinking I've gone from being bedridden. I've been working on getting rid of the pain for almost two years. I am now realizing that now that I can feel my body out of position, I need to learn how to get my body into proper position and stay that way. And I guess it's just a matter of, of pacing and training, so I need to somehow figure out how to do what you did with the motorcycle helmet and and the, being able to shoot and stuff. I've got to figure out how to, I guess, just be able to to stand. I mean, my postural restoration therapist put me in shoe jail last week. I saw her for the <laughs> first time, and she said it's important. She goes, your jaw and your head have so much to do with it. She goes, but we're going to start with your feet. She goes, because if you don't Mm -hmm. have the proper footing and you can't feel your heel, she goes, because you, you have a problem, you know, she goes with, you know, figuring out where you are in space. And she said, you have to have the shoe and from there we can work our way up because but until you have that there's no point in trying to work on everything else do you kind of follow that
1: yeah absolutely um and I'm not great about my feet I should be better about my feet given the ankle problems that I've had um but yes I'm I've I've been through the same path helpful for me and I I spent quite a bit of time in orthotics that we managed to work me out of as my ankles got better. Um, But yeah, absolutely. If you're not, if you don't have good footing, the rest doesn't make sense. And, and my body kind of goes both directions as well. And if my core isn't operating properly, it changes how I use my thighs, which impacts my knees, which impacts my calves, which puts strain on my ankle, which changes how I use my feet. So it's kind of in both directions of, you know, operate my feet properly and I need to operate the rest of my body correctly. So I'm not putting an unfair strain on my feet.
0: Gotcha. And I'm, I'm actually trying to come up with the weight because there's no point in me putting a goal to be roller skating this time next year. If I can't get up and walk from my bed into the kitchen improperly. So what, I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to do postural restoration therapy. I'm going to you know, work on my feet, work on my walking. I've definitely got to figure out my breathing. Is, is that ever a problem for you? Getting oh, your Oh brain- boy.
1: My breathing a nightmare. My breathing. A- I'm still struggling with my breathing today. Um, can you hear me?
0: Yes, definitely. Yeah. Oh, not again.
1: Okay, good. Okay. I can hear you. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: uh- to go back, to, to go back to what you said about getting out of bed, literally every time I stand up, and I and I sometimes forget, but my rules are when I stand up, the first thing I do is stack myself so upright, and then engage my glutes because my glutes don't work worth a darn, and they're they're kind of central to what my body does or doesn't do, um, and then think about how I walk. Um, do you have flat stride yes yeah i would managed to solve that um most of the time if i'm in a hurry i still fall back into it but most of the time we've managed to um and uh and then the second is my breathing and we have been working on my breathing for oh at least four years now um and the problem is that i get complacent with it excuse um i just It gets better for a while, I get sloppy, it gets worse.
0: Well, what I mean, it, it, it definitely bothers me because I know that if I don't have the breathing, hi Ella, if I don't have my breathing down, that seems to take away a lot of my time it, because I start feeling pressure building up on my side because I can tell my diaphragm isn't working. And then I can tell that other muscles are starting to compensate. So I've learned how to kind of turn back on like the transverse abdominis and things like that. I can tell when it starts shutting down, it's because I don't have the proper breathing technique. So rather than concentrate on it, I just you know get up and it's it's like I'm one of those dolls that you pull the string in their back, and I'm just <laughs> the string be eaten up, and I'm just like trying to get it all done before it hits my back what what wow. have you done to be able because you're you're not you're not you know you could do better with your feet. you know you could do better with your breathing, but mm-hmm. how? Have you been able to get up and do all of that with those not being as focused upon as you were like with your neck and your hands? Because yeah. you, you're, you're doing quite a bit. I'm impressed with all that, that, that you can do, but you still have so much more work to do, but you're managing quite well.
1: Yeah. um, So I have timers on my on my work calendar that just say breathe and it's long five times a day. And do I always actually stop and do some breathing exercises? No, but hopefully it at least makes me think. Um, I can only mentally and I think this is one of my neurodivergent things. I can only truly focus on one body part at a time. If you can convince me the other body parts are in the way, I can do better but I can only really focus on one thing. So I was really focused on my neck until um, my sports Cairo finally convinced me that we can't take your neck any further until we fix your breathing. Um, and previously you had convinced me that you can't get your neck any further until we fix your walking. And we got my walk fixed to my neck. Then we went to breathing. Then my breathing was reasonable and we went back to neck, but I fell out of the habit of continuing the breathing habits. And my neck got worse again and I fall back in and I fall back out. Um, but so it's something I try to make myself work on every day. Um, and it's, and I know for a fact that when I'm not breathing properly, I use my upper traps, my upper traps actually pick up my rib cage to make room for my diaphragm, um, which our traps are not designed. They're supposed to be holding my head. Um, so then my, they're not doing their own job and they're also fatigued because they're constant on trying to help me breathe. So my SEMs take over and try to hold my head and everything pulls my shoulders and my head forward. Now my head weighs even more. Um, So I know that my breathing is critical to getting my neck back. Um, but I have not been able to find that one thing that is consuming enough for my brain to truly focus on completely fixing my breathing. Um, and I'm, I bought a book recently. It's sitting on my desk that I'm trying to convince myself to read that I'm hoping can kind of try to get me there. Um, so I breathe ex- kind of like my feet. My feet operate acceptably now. Not right, but acceptably. I breathe acceptably. I breathe enough for it to not be making things worse. Um, it's definitely still not breathing well enough to make things better. That May- will probably be the next step with my neck because I'm stuck until I get my breathing
0: better. Okay, and you mentioned a book. I have a book on breathing sitting Uh on my nightstand that I am trying to get myself to read as well. I swear, I feel like you're a fly on my wall. (laughs) (laughs) And which one did you buy? (laughs) Um, Is it Breath by James Nestor? Uh, Oh, mine is The Breathing Cure. The breathing. Okay, because I, I I, yeah, I think yeah, mine's like Breathe or Breath or something like that. And I started reading it. And then I, it's, it's so weird because I just came out of a flame and I was so miserable because of the brain fog. And then yesterday I was like, wow, I really understand brain fog because I'm not as overwhelmed when I look at that stack of papers as I was last week. Mm-hmm. I, I realized that now maybe I can get to that book. But there's something that's holding me up that isn't getting me there. And you mentioned about, you know, like different body parts, and, and, you know, like if you're mm-hmm. working on your breathing, then you other things. What I, I'm trying to figure out, like, what is the holdup? It's something that will make us better. Yeah. It's something we need to do. But, my breath has been one of the worst things for me that I have not been able to figure out. And I mean, I'm walking around with the balloon and I'm blowing into the balloon like three times, you know, when when I start like the the diaphragm starting to mess up. It's you're the first person to explain things that I'm like, oh my gosh, you're like in my head. You understand. (laughs) And the rib. And it just makes me feel so much more at ease because when you have this illness, I almost feel like you understand that other zebras know what you're going through. But sometimes there are things that you're questioning, I think, you know, at least Mm from like I'm thinking this really can't be a problem this Uh do that and then they hear someone else that that's another reason for the podcast is i figure Mm -hmm. i'll share these things because you know you you only have but so much room on facebook and it's kind you know kind of hard to put something like that you know words onto paper and then you know put it on facebook and not have it yeah something like that so I needed the freedom of where I could just sit there and ramble and go on about I feel like my body's collapsing I feel this and then I feel so blessed to be getting messages back from individuals saying I have that too so I Mm -hmm. don't feel so alone but knowing that you have a problem with your breathing I'm not happy (laughs) yeah sure but but it's like it's so nice to have someone that understands and that can relate, and the fact that you put breathing reminders into your calendar during the day—I thought, I mean, because I'm writing notes everywhere, breathe. Did mm-hmm. you, you know, setting alarms reminding me to relax my shoulders and, uh-huh. and things like that. I mean, is that? Yeah. I mean, do you reckon, Do you think that's a good idea? I mean just no matter what it takes if you have to write notes if you have to i mean set timers i mean it's
1: yeah if if you need a buddy that you ping each other and say i did my breathing exercises today did you whatever will help you know it's like it's like anybody else any other exercise routine you know it's boring it's annoying and if you don't have something to help keep you accountable it's a whole lot harder um When you made the comment about, um, you know, I can't believe this is an issue. Talk to me about breathing four or five times at least. And I, what I heard in my head is once we get your neck better, we should work on your breathing. And finally one day I was like, is it Brock stop? And he goes, yes. Are you telling me that my breathing is impacting my neck? And he's like, I've told you that five times now. (laughs) Okay. Well, now I think I'm hearing you. Let me say what I think I just heard you say. And he was like, Okay, you heard a little of what I said. You didn't catch all of it. Let me explain to you what you are doing with your shoulders to make it so you can breathe and why that is screwing up the rest of your body. I was like, oh, okay. And this was like early 2021, mid 2021. So I went looking and you and I talked about this once before. I went looking for a voice coach because I know people who are singers who have had got breathing lessons from their singers, their singing coaches. Well, I couldn't find any because it was 2021. Then I went looking for a respiratory coach because another EDSer said that's where she went. Well, of course, the poor respiratory coaches were all, or respiratory therapists were swamped with COVID patients. So I couldn't find that. Um, So then I went looking for a physical therapist who works on or specializes with breathing. And that was when I found the EDS uh, aware therapist that I see now that she said, oh yeah, most of my hypermobile patients have breathing. They come in here for knees or ankles or necks or shoulders and while I have them, I convinced them that they need to relearn how to breathe. So let's teach you how to breathe. Um, and I and she's who I still see today. We're three years in now, two and a half years in. Um, and we do. We're working on my neck. We're working on whatever else. And she's like, "By the way, when you're here next week, you're going to tell me that you actually did your breathing exercises all week because I can tell you didn't do them last week." I was like, "Okay, yeah, you're right." Yeah. No. Um, but it was a it was a wake up moment of. What do you mean how I breathe is impacting my neck? That makes absolutely no sense to me. Well, here, let me tell you all the wrong things your muscles are doing because your ribs aren't working to let your diaphragm work for you to breathe. Oh, now, and, and you've heard this from me too, right? If I don't understand why you're making me do something, I'm going to do it wrong. I have to understand what the point is, why we're supposed to do it, what muscle we're doing it for, and what the end goal is going to be. If you just tell me, go lift this weight 15 times, I will lift that weight 15 times using all the wrong muscles and go, that was super easy. We've actually learned now, if I say to my PT, that was easy, she says, then you did it wrong. And we stop, and we do something else. So as I I have to understand the basic, I don't need all the biomechanics, I don't want all the biomechanics, but the basic idea of what's going wrong and why, in order to get myself to make that commitment to take little tiny baby steps to fix it.
0: Well, this was kind of my wake up call. Because my husband says to me, Every time you see someone new, you come back and you say, You're going to do everything they told you to do and you're going to listen this time. And, and then every time you, within days, you're back down. He says, When are you going to listen? And I'm like, I don't do it intentionally. I honestly right. have the best of intentions but now you know hearing it hearing you say it and and hearing it out loud and knowing that it's not just me i feel like i need to be more dedicated and i guess i'll let the podcast hold me accountable because i'll have to mm-hmm. make that i've done these things cuz i can go back and look okay well on this day you said you were going to start doing this and now you're no better it's because you didn't do this it's I I guess I need to consider my breathing maybe as the foundation because, you know, if I'm not, I I know that's when my pain kind of starts getting the worst is when I've, I've been up and I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm not breathing properly. And I can feel that. And, and now I feel, I mean, I've got, the exercises from my speech therapist when I lost my voice and Mm -hmm. I know what I'm supposed to do. And I've, I guess, just gotten lax. And I think that's, I think that happens to a lot of us. I don't think it's not that we don't want to be better, but when I, as I said, when I was standing in the kitchen with my husband, it was such an effort for me to stand there, it stand properly and I was having to in my mind reassure myself that this was okay and that mm-hmm. this is what I was doing and I I I just was thinking these are little exercises, you know, what good are they going to do? Uh-huh. Because I mean you're just pushing your chin. You're barely moving it. What is uh-huh. isometric. Yeah to do. How can this matter? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's the mindset that we have to change. Uh, it's, it's very frustrating. It's, I, I think that's where the defeating part comes in. I mean, I was, I was in the middle of my flare and I got up because I wanted to eat with my family. And then within a matter of minutes, I had my head on the back of the chair and I was telling my husband, I said, I need you to squeeze me. And he's like, what? <laughs> I, I, I had him mm-hmm. put his hand on the upper part of my back because mm-hmm. I couldn't feel my breath going into my body. So yeah. I was thought that if you have you know somebody like put their hand on your back, it helps you. Well, it was helping yeah. a little bit, but then I was like, I needed him to go lower and then I was like, "I need you to be on the front." I said, "My diaphragm," because I know on the left side your diaphragm is being squished down by your heart, and on the right side you've got the the liver and stuff. I guess you know, every it, there's nothing pressing the right side down, so I could feel like I just wasn't I I couldn't work properly, and I had him pushing the front of my abdomen and my back. I just said, squeeze me together so I can get a breath. Right. It, it was at that point. Does that make any sense to you?
1: Yeah, it does. Um, okay. Mine doesn't do quite that, but it does make sense um, that, you know, essentially your your muscles have just given up and said, I can't do this right now. I yeah, know the, the wrong muscles you've been trying to use to breathe the whole time you were laying in bed are so fatigued. And now you've moved to an upright position where they're in a different body position. And they're just like, I can't, I just can't. I have been working so hard for you through this whole flare doing all the wrong jobs. And I'm just done. Just needed a little help to kind of create the compression and help your body feel and get into a position that, that things could work and operate. Gotcha. Um, you know, that I see. I haven't had that particular that exact experience myself, but I've had some kind of similar.
0: Gotcha. Um, I mean, it just, I mean, that's helpful to know, because if I said that to anyone else, (laughs) you know, somebody that has this illness kind of gets it, it might not be the exact thing, but it's like, you know, where I'm coming from. So it just makes me think, well, why in the world would I not be doing these exercises? Why would I not be doing this and i feel like there's a fear i I feel like i don't know if it's a fear of failure or a fear of i'm not gonna get any further or this might it gets how do you have that
1: oh yeah um and i you know the the i'm just not gonna get there i have been through so many times you know i've we've jokingly have started saying my neck is now at 91% because I've been saying 90% for like three years. Um, But it is better today than it was three years ago. So now I jokingly say I've gotten my neck to 91% because I have to give myself something that says it's moved, it's done something. Um, But especially when I'm flaring, you know, the, the dysautonomia takes over, it shuts down all of the, all of the higher logic, all of the safety nets I've built, all of the, look at this, you're making progress. Millimeters matter. And falls back those primal instincts that are just, I I can't do this. I can't find my way out of this. It's never going to get better. Why am I wasting my time? Why am I bothering? Um, and that self gaslighting is so powerful, so overwhelming. Um, and that happens with me with the exercises, especially when an upper exercise fatigues me. And it's like, I did this at PT two days ago and I could do three sets of 10. Now I'm at home trying to do the same exercise and I can't do, I know I'm five into my second and I'm feeling fatigued and I know I'm not allowed to work past fatigue. It's like, what the crap, how did I get worse in two days? Right. Um, And it, it can be just so overwhelming. And that's part of that finding millimeters to measure, to be able to see that I am moving it forward is the only way I can keep doing it. Um, You said something earlier that, that I giggled at, um, That I do believe breathing is foundational. Part of why I haven't managed to be as successful as I should be, I think, about my breathing is that when we first talked about it, what my brain heard was, if we fix your breathing, we will fix everything else. And when we got my breathing better and I did not see a dramatic improvement in anything except my shoulders, I kind of gave up. Uh I thought I had finally gotten the magic key this is it. This is the one thing. And I even, I had a couple of people warn me, including my friend, Tracy Rodriguez, that I know you've talked to. She's like, Anne-Marie, breathing isn't going to make everything better. I was like, for today, I'm going to believe that. Leave me alone. you know. And when it didn't, I kind of quit on it. It's like, okay, we have it enough better so that it doesn't seem to be impacting my neck as much anymore. Let's get back to trying to fix the neck because I can't mentally work on multiple body parts at the same time. I know ideally you can, and I know ideally you should. It's not the way my brain works or not the way my, I can't keep the drive going to work on my ankles and my hips and my knees and my SI and my breathing and my neck and my shoulders and my hands all at once. I can't. It's too much for my brain to do. I can keep all of them status quo and then work on one. But I just can't. I wish I could. I know people who can and I wish I could say we're going to keep my neck moving forward and we're going to work on my breathing which will ultimately also keep my neck moving forward um i just can only tackle so much and so that's
0: i try to to shift and balance in between them no (laughs) it's uh (laughs) excuse me i'm sitting (laughs) excuse me (laughs) no it's you're you're exactly right it i have a difficult time it it I just have a difficult time doing more than one thing mm-hmm. I used to be a multitasking demon, but now it seems, you know, I thought I, I, I stopped walking and talking. And when I found out that the answer was, I had sticky fascia and my every joint I had was subluxed. I thought, okay, I'll get, I'll get rid of the adhesions and I'll be good to go. Well, I'm two years in to getting rid of those adhesions. And during that time, POTS has come into play, gastroparesis, MACS, I mean, on and on and on. And so I'm battling those things. And I just thought, I I didn't have problems with those things before I went down. Mm -hmm. Why now? And it does get defeating. And when you're... Standing next to somebody and they're effortlessly talking or you know you're you know getting ready to eat or doing whatever and you are struggling just to be able to stand there it does get kind of hard on the psyche I think yeah it does absolutely it, you're a really
1: it, silly one because you're so in, you so want to get back roller skating you know I'm back roller skating I really enjoy roller skating I met a fellow person of about my age at skating uh, but, who skated as a kid, but not very much. He's come back to skating, um, has a relatively healthy body. And like I taught her how to pick up a skate. I taught her how to cross over. I taught her the basics of going backwards. Um, she's now out skating me by a mile. She's two months into being back skating. I'm five years into being back skating. She is faster than I am. She can stop where I can't. She can skate backwards. She's learning some dance moves. And I am so happy for her, but I'm having a hard time getting myself to go to the rink with her because I won't ever get there. I won't, I'm not able to put in the effort it would take me to get. I'm not able to commit myself to put in the effort to get to what she has gotten to simply by choosing to go twice a week, every week, and to take a lesson once a month. It has come much more naturally for her because she's not as broken as I am. And she doesn't have as many challenges as I do. And it's in another few weeks, it'll be fun to go with her and watch how well she's doing. But right now it's hard. It's It hurts my soul to be like, I want to do what she's doing. We're the same age. We grew up the same way. We did the same things. She came back long after I did and she's gone way past what I will ever do. And same way with every sport I've ever done, I love bringing in newbies and helping them learn and then watch them go right by what I can do. But I have to stop and remind myself that most zebras can't stand on my motorcycle, let alone compete. They can't. No, I'm never going to show jump again. No, I'm never going to run barrels. No, I'm never going to win tons of trophies like I did as a kid. But I'm on a horse. I need to be thankful for that. But someday. For a little bit and, and let myself feel because I also have that problem I like to put feelings in a box instead of actually letting myself feel them and let myself feel and let myself feel defeated let myself feel envious and then pick myself back up and look to my left and look at where I was and remind myself how envious that me would be of the me I am today and let that be enough but it's hard
0: no, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, when I, um, <laughs> I had to cancel some interviews last week and when I messaged, it was all I could do to pick up my phone and send a message to this person. And when I wrote, I cannot talk. I, I, I'm in a flare mm-hmm. and I've overdone it. And admitting that,
1: yeah,
0: harder than anything. And I said, and let, and I said, and admitting to you the truth is probably so hard, but so necessary for me because yeah. it's like now I'm, 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 I'm accepting, I can mourn the old me. That's, yeah. that's allowable, but I can't let it take over. And I, I have to look at, what I, you know, the fact that I was bedridden, yes, I am happy that I can, you know, get up and move now. I mean, I was so excited last night. I was like, I need mm-hmm. a follow. I got up out of bed and I went and got my own bottle of water. And that was a big deal for me rather yeah. than have to bring it to me. But I do think, like you said, watching somebody, you know, surpass you, it does hurt the soul. And it, it does kind of, for me, it, I think it's been part of my, my setbacks because I want so badly to be better. And I just can't fathom the thought that bending over and allowing my body to go raggedy and just droopy and then coming mm-hmm. up breathing is an exercise that will put my body into proper position. And I'm not doing it. The fact yeah. that the things I have to do are so simple, but they're so difficult yeah. for me mentally. Yeah. Yeah, it's
1: absolutely, it's it's incredibly humbling, you know? Yeah. No,
0: it, it really, it really is. And it's it's been, this is the first time that I've gotten out of flare. That for one, I've admitted that it was a flare. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's still for me because I just didn't admit it. And then you know, I was talking to you about you know soft pills and things because I'm like, I'm desperate. I need mm-hmm. to. Find, you know, what am I doing? And as I've I've always said, I go to those that I've seen go down that I have seen that still are affected by this illness, because I just, I, I, I believe it more. And I'm like, okay, where yeah. are you? Doing? I need to follow that path. So it is, it is very humbling. It's, it's very hard to admit, but this is like, like I said my third day up from an almost two week flare and yeah. I did a little bit yesterday, doing the laundry was a big accomplishment for me. And then it slowed me down a little bit this morning. When we're done with the interview here, I'm probably going to make myself, you know, go, you know, sit in the bed and probably work on some breathing exercises and do that. But I need to allow my body to accept that this, even though we've just been chatting, is a physical exertion upon my body yeah yeah
1: absolutely given that you have breathing challenges you're asking yeah. your body to exert a lot of breath to have this conversation and you can hear my voice is changing as we talk i don't have a cold this is that i'm working harder to breathe to, to hold the conversation
0: yes and that's um, why yeah because i in yours and i'm feeling it in mine and what i'd like to do is I, i'm sorry that we had any technical difficulties but what i yeah. loved was that it gave us more time to just chat and oh. i really appreciate your time and you coming on and sharing the pacing and i loved the stories and i know we're going to you know talk some more we've got more things that we want to talk about but before we go what what are your final thoughts what 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 would you like to leave everyone hearing from you today.
1: Yeah, the um the couple of things that I I, thank you because I would love to hit his final thoughts is you know and we touched on it a bit, but it's all right to have to start again and again and even again. It's okay that, you know, I gave up on the breathing exercise. Or I didn't completely give up, but I stay focused on them enough that I lost ground and had to go back. Was it embarrassing to have to go back to my PT and say, yeah, I got lousy on my breathing? And she's like, of course you did. I can see that in front of me. You know, um, but it's, it's okay to have to start again. At least for me, I have to acknowledge that I may have to start again on parts of my body I haven't had to worry about for years. So my right ankle is just a little off right now, just a little. But the last time it was just a little off, it ended up really, really bad. So I am trying to really focus on it and think about how I use it when I walk and do things for it. And start again on making sure that I'm using the ankle correctly and protecting the ankle to have it not get worse. Um, and it's okay to, you know, it's okay to have a flare overtake us and feel like this is too much today. Um, if all I did today is breathe, it's a good day. Let's try again tomorrow. Um, we've talked a lot about, you know, making sure to remember that I'm thankful for where I am, and Facebook memories is a great way for me to see that. Sometimes it's like, oh, I can't do what I did on this day five years ago. But most of the time it's, oh, I'm in a better place than I was that day. Um, you know, it just it just makes it. Um, the other thing you and I have talked about quite a bit that I really like to use when I'm struggling is I love the EDS Athletes Facebook group.
0: Yes, yes, I do. Yes.
1: I love going and seeing what other people with our condition are doing. And it can be everything from trying to get back out of bed for the first time to people who are national level athletes or even professional athletes. But it's a reminder that this diagnosis doesn't automatically mean that I can't. I know. And that it, when I feel overwhelmed, it um, And then just the last thought is that I used to be really bad about fear avoidance. So oh, I'm afraid that's going to hurt the ankle. So I'm not going to walk. Or I'm going to just keep it in its brace all the time. It'll be better if I just keep it braced 24/7. It can't subloc- sublux. Well, that's true, but it also can't get better necessarily. You know, if there are certainly times where I've had to brace something 24/7, but once those days are over, being willing to move it again and try again and try new things, even if I have to break it into the world's smallest baby steps, um, you know, it has, has just made such a difference. Of to come full circle to where we started. Of thinking about it in millimeters, measuring success and in, in being able to say, I don't know if I'll ever pull a wheelie again, but for today, I just wanna be able to wear my helmet and not be in pain because I wore my helmet. And for today, that's enough. And that's, I think that's one of the biggest things that's worked for me.
0: Well, I, I think they are words to live by and I'm happy that you said them here. And I appreciate you taking the time what I love about this is that no one would understand that what we've just done was an actual almost four hour process that we were starting at a certain, <laughs> and then we put it off, you know, but we were working together and
1: yeah.
0: that is is what I want this podcast to do is to let people know we have to work together we have to share and yeah. like said have a have a breathing buddy have mm-hmm. somebody hold you accountable you know make sure you're eating make sure you're doing this i mean whatever you have to do set an alarm do whatever i mean you know we've got to because there is no pill there is no medication there's no surgery there's nothing that can fix us. We have to fix ourselves from within the best that we can. And I think you've given us some great tips today. I sincerely appreciate you taking the time to come on. So
1: happy to be here. Thanks for letting me be a part of your program.
0: Thank you, Anne-Marie. You have a lovely day. You too, Christy. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Anne-Marie Cross joined us today and I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I really did. And I hope it helps you. Please feel free to message me. I I new to ask about the horses because you messaged so thank you for being a part of the awal zebra family christy lynn hanshee awal zebra have a lovely day